in here. That might be it. Big shots, more big shots. That is it. Wow. Game, set, match. Welcome to the Across the Karate Verse podcast. Whoa. Wow. That was nice. Nice. Hello, all of you Karateverse explorers. I'm your host, Uncle John, and welcome to the Across the Karateverse podcast. This is episode three, and boy, is it a doozy. We talk to league founder Robert Bryan and learn pretty much all things the birth and business model of the Karate Combat League. And now, as the league is transitioning into a DAO, where that idea came from and what went into planning how that would look Uh, it was a really cool conversation rob is the man let me just say all of our guests are the man they it's it's been a great time talking to them and i hope you've enjoyed the episodes in fact if you've enjoyed them we have social media pages check them out they're neat Anyways, I will not delay you much longer, only to say that this Saturday, as most of you know, is KC38. I am in my grandparents' guest room in Florida, and I will be at the fight. So um, it is set to be a solid matchup, and if you see me on camera, let me know. You can't miss me and such. Okay, enough chit-chat. On to the episode. Thanks again for being here. How are you? What's up? Good, good. You know, we had uh, the biggest event we've ever had at the end of the year last year. Had a great holidays. We wound down a bit. Hung out with the family. I live in Miami now. I'm from the Northeast, but my dad lives in North Carolina. I went up there. It was 10 degrees. It felt like the coldest I've ever been in my life, even though I grew up that way. So it's great seeing my dad, but I'm happy to be back from vacation down here in Miami. And yeah, we've got a busy year ahead of us. A lot of things are changing at the company. We're doing a little strategic planning and then we're getting back to work, putting everything in place for what we think is going to be an incredible year in 2023. Yeah, I was at this event and then I was at the previous event and they both were fantastic. But this one seemed way more scaled up and they're all great. So it's fun. I was really surprised at the headline fight. I thought for a chance, like I didn't think that Raymond Daniels losing was out of the realm of possibility, but I thought that I would be surprise and then after i saw a few more montage clips of a guy of i was like oh dude yeah i thought that was one of the big turning points in our league honestly you can see the odds in vegas raymond daniels was a heavy favorite so you got this guy probably considered one of the best strikers in the world hands down and most recently he was undefeated in mma one of the top kickboxers He's just proven himself time and time again in different leagues and different rule sets. And his strength has always been striking. So we thought he was a perfect guy from the well-known world of combat sports to fit well in our league. And he fought Rafael Gaev, an Olympic medalist, but someone who's definitely come from a different world. He did start out point fighting karate, even though he's always trained full contact. He is from the Olympic side. And to be honest, I think community sports thought that the the sort of the training methods and, you know, MMA and a lot of these other more watched combat sports were ahead of what they were doing in the world of karate. Vegas thought that 
everyone thought that. And yeah, you saw what happened. It was an amazing fight. RD put on a show. I thought it was funny because he walked in. He had an amazing walk-in. Rafael did his best. He's halfway around the world from where he is. He jumped in from an Azuri song. No one had heard the song. And people were almost like, to be honest, who is this guy? And he just had such amazing timing in that fight. He's seen the best strikers in the world and basically always prevail. But Rafael's timing was just so incredible that he overcame that. It was round three and we're like, man, he won the first two. And then it sunk in over time. We're like, wow, this guy is really going to win this fight. That's unbelievable. His timing was perfect, catching kicks at every moment. You know, I think he might have won every round, frankly. And then towards the end, the entire crowd, you could hear them scream, Rafael. So I thought it was an amazing fight. Hardy has been fought in all these different striking roles, but I think our roles are just very honed in. There's a lot of real world aspects of them. I think RD will come back greater than ever, but I think it really did a lot to show what our athletes have behind them, especially in our rule set, which we feel is the most striking, the most realistic striking only rule set out there that really resembles a lot of what might happen in the real world if you need to use self-defense. So I've talked to only LARPing a little bit about the differences between karate combat, but what really I think is like very dope is that from the inception of karate combat, the rule set that you guys have almost like immediately addressed, not necessarily a problem with other MMA leagues, but like certainly something that's missing. So the rules from the get go make better fights. So were you involved in coming up with the rules with Adam or did he come forward to you guys and say, Hey, I think we should do this. And that would be a great solution. So what happened was when we started, we had all the top Olympic athletes in the world signed up for this new style of fight. And they weren't new to the world of full contact. They had always trained full contact. However, the rule set, what they compete in was touch. If you hit the guy too hard, you lose. We even saw that happen in a gold medal Olympic match recently. And that format doesn't work for today's media. And it doesn't work for the younger generation and how they want to view media. So we were in a unique situation. We had one of the oldest sports in the world, <laughs> frankly, and we were able to modify all of the rules at once to fit these modern objectives. An exciting fight resembles what's in the real world today. It's media that fans today want to see in the way that they want to see it. Mobile first, exciting production, cinematic filming techniques, all of those. So everything that we built from the company, from the ground up, was with that objective in mind. So. What we did with the rule set it was pretty interesting, actually. So it wasn't just us. We had a few business guys like myself in the room, Adam in our fight department, but we also had people who have been in MMA and other combat sports and have developed those. So for instance, Sean Relock, someone that's been instrumental in the standardized mixed martial arts rules, we had his input as well. And we took all that together and we generated, which we think is far and away the most exciting format. And it includes everything about the rule set from the ground up. So the fighting arena, not only is it exciting, the surface is a bit harder. May was obviously geared with grappling and jujitsu in mind, and the, the softness of the mat reflects that. Ours was geared more towards stand-up fighting. If you get thrown to the ground, you have much higher risk in our league of that. We've had people get knocked out 
just from hitting the ground that happens much less in MMA. And then the other thing the arena does, it allows for better filming. There's nothing blocking your view. Whether you're in the fight and you're right up there next to the action or you're watching it on TV, where you don't have to look through a cage or rings. If you see everything in combat sports, it's filmed from above. We're able to film exactly from the side with fire, much more like a movie, giving you the feeling that you're almost there and creating a lot of exciting highlights. It started with the arena and then everything came after that. We have shorter rounds so the fighters don't have to conserve energy and they can go all out. Our rule set, because there's no grappling, favors more exciting techniques we're actually going for a knockout and one shot. And believe it or not, that can do a lot less damage to the fighter as well. And if you win, it allows you to fight more quickly. You know, we also took out a lot of things such as the clinch, the grappling, when you get thrown to the ground, you have three seconds. So it's sort of realistic if you're in a fight in real life, but after the three seconds, you're stood up. And while it's important to have grappling in your real world repertoire, I don't think you're going to want to be for three minutes on a bar floor fighting some guy when all of his friends are sitting there watching you. So, you know, everyone can argue who has the most realistic combat sport. We think we have certain elements of that and other leagues also have certain elements of that. But we think we retain the most exciting elements of real world fighting and put them into it for I guess it also depends on who you're fighting in a bar. If you fall down in a bar, chances are you're probably just going to kick like a lot of kicks to the rib cage. It may not I'm be as fighting Adam in the bar. I'm running out the door. Dude, <laughs> that's my fighting technique from the business side. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a fan. I do train myself, but next nothing compared to these guys. If I, I see told- Adam in a bar, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm not even going to play around with the idea. So when you guys were starting, like. What was the craziest thing you had to do to sign a fighter like early on? Were there any crazy things or were they all pretty on board with the idea? That's a question submitted by your friend, Only LARPing. Well, that's because he knows it's an interesting one. So the problem that we had when we started, I won't go into the specifics because this is all public, but a lot of the existing infrastructure in karate didn't want this to happen. We weren't the first ones to come along and say, Karate has this massive community, have these guys fight full contact, and it's going to be awesome, right? Everyone had had that idea for decades. The problem was putting in together a framework that worked with the existing infrastructure that would allow you to do that and still allow fighters to go to the Olympics. Once we were able to clear that hurdle, the next was signing the fighters. And fighters are very familiar with the sport, especially in karate. Frankly, the fighters are very intelligent about the future of their career, something you might not see in a lot of other sports just because of the way the sport is built up over time. So we still had a lot of work to do convincing the fighters. And we got some of the fighters right away were interested. So what we did, we actually got on a plane. We flew to Turkey. We went to an Olympic event. We saw all the best fighters and we tried to recruit as many as we could. And a few of them were on board right away. So we got that initial group of fighters, but they were still facing a lot of issues, really getting the rest of the fighter base to jump on. And to tell you the truth, we used the oldest trick in the book. We said, look, we got to get the top guy. I hope Raphael is not watching this, but the first thing we said was, look, who are the other people on Raphael's team? So we made a hard push to recruit them. So then when we went to Raphael, this is all confidential at the time, he went to ask the people he trains with and they were all on board with the vision. They said, look, this is finally going to be it. This is finally going to turn karate around. And he was thinking, hey, 
everyone else is doing this, but to be honest, it was mostly just his team. And then once we got him, it was a downhill battle. Everyone said, look, he's been in the industry forever and he's still a champion. He's at the top of his game. If he's interested in this, we're going to be interested in this too. And we're basically able to sign all the fighters we want from the Olympic style over to our style. There were still some fighters in the Olympics that didn't want to do full contact, didn't train full contact as much as some of our guys. So for them, it didn't make sense. But for the people that we thought were right for this type of fighting, honestly, we, we got all of them on board and that was the base we started with. And when we started, it was just karate. And now anyone that takes our rule set is coming on board. So now we're expanding kickboxers, Muay Thai, MMA, you know, everyone that's the top strikers in these different areas are now gravitating towards our league. That's rad. My granddad and his wife have been training in Sato for decades. Like they both have their sixth degree. They taught in New York when they lived there. And I sent him the video of the fight and he watched it and he was like, this is cool. He was pretty impressed. So you have grandpa's seal of approval if that means anything. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of what you just said, he has a black belt. In other sports leagues, it can be hard to train and run your own gym. There's only so many hyper-competitive gyms, et cetera. And in karate, there's a much bigger base out there. So a lot of our fighters are working at dojos, training there with the highest level people. But there's also kids' classes, which you don't see in some other combat sports. So I think the whole community of karate has really translated to what we do. And it's Live is just because the athletes and who they are. If you're someone that's training kids all day, yeah, when you're in the ring with the guy, yeah, you're going to want to go out and kill him. But you're still fighting for your life out there. At some point, there probably is some love lost. But I think our fighters just have very complex stories. They're really interesting. I think that's one of the most interesting things about what we do. And I think a lot of it is because they're very international. A lot of them, younger people during the day, they're up on the latest trends. We don't have to tell them about social media as much as some of these other sports, things like that. So I think they just relate to their audience a lot better. Their values relate to their audience a lot better. But at heart, they're still fighters. And when they get in the ring, they still got that killer instinct. So I think you get all the fun with a little bit of a different background than you're used to seeing in combat sports. Yeah, for sure. So when the league first started, what was your goal or vision? And then I want to lean into the league becoming a down now and how some of those goals and visions maybe changed a little bit with the changing org structure. I think when we started, the goal was to make karate great again. You know, we said there's a, a really big sport here. It's not a niche sport. Where 10 million people do karate in the United States, 100 million do one type of karate. The number of people out there doing karate is massive. And some people say it's a kid's sport. It actually has higher adult participation than most sports. Frankly, all sports are kid sports. You know, I don't see a lot of people picking up football in their 40s. That being said, it was a huge sport with a massive following and it was perfect for media viewership. Nothing's more exciting than fighting in my mind. And within fighting, nothing's more exciting than karate. That's why the movies you're going to see kicks to the head more than you're going to see arm bars. That's just a fact. That's just more interesting to watch. And what we tried to do was use that to make the sport of karate great again and bring all that back to the limelight. And there were a number of hurdles to do that. One, we had to go through the athletic commissions. It is a new sport. MMA took over a decade to be approved by their first 
state commission. We're a startup, we don't have that kind of leeway. So we had to put all the framework in place. We had to sign all the fires that there's so much involved in setting up the sport. And honestly, we, at the end of the day, we had, we had to hope, was the karate community gonna like this product or not? We know there's a huge base out there. Are they really gonna gravitate towards what we have to offer? And to mitigate that risk as much as possible, we said, hey, we know what works in media today. We know what generally this generation is looking for. And we had the flexibility I spoke about earlier with the rules to cater the product towards them. So we put ourselves in the best possible position, but frankly, we didn't know what was gonna happen whatsoever. We had our first event, to tell you the truth, we had our first event in secret. We went to Warehouse in Budapest. We got all these top guys to fight, even Raphael fought in the first event. And we said, when we announce this thing, we're gonna come out where we can already show them what it is. Otherwise, people won't know what we're talking about. They're gonna think it's this boring version of Olympic karate. And it worked. But we had a blank Instagram account, Karate Combat, we make the account. We have posted the first video, which was the trailer, and it got 2 million views. And it was just these guys fighting a warehouse in the new style. And I think our second video, which was basically the same thing clipped up differently, got 5 million organic views. So once we saw that, we felt a lot better about it. And we just moved forward. And now we are the top cry league. We're well on our way to becoming the top striking league. And our future goals are to move beyond that and become a top 10 sport out there and we want to be the top sport within web three we're the first sport to go as far as we're going to go in web three by a mile i hope we're not too early but we are doing this far in advance of everyone else we think web three is there where the utility works for the plan that we want to do we think that time is right it makes sense from a if you just think about the fans it makes sense when you think about the business community like well no one else is doing this and all of these business guys are looking at us like we're crazy, to be honest. But we think it works for the fans and we think it works for our target audience. So we're going to do it. We think it's exciting. So yeah, our four goals to be top sport in Web3 period, the first real native high-level sport that's built purely for Web3. And then our other major goal is to become a top 10. And I think we're well on our way. The independent sort of social media rankings, they have us already in the top 30 and all the sports on Facebook. But making that next jump is a really big jump from where we are. But we think we're in the right spot to do that. Nice. So when you guys were conceptualizing turning the league into a DAO, were there any concerns you had or was it like an easy sell and if there were concerns how did you address those and kind of do a safeguard against them so myself and only larping were were the two founders and when i heard the idea i was sold 100 percent. like after the three minute pitch i was like oh my god we have to do this and the reason why wasn't because it's a DAO or all these Web3 trends that are happening. It was because of the utility prospect. The fact that we can offer up-only gaming. I think that's the ultimate customer acquisition model. I think it's going to change the world of sports. And a lot of the other Web3 things, those are just icing on the cake beyond that. Yeah, I agree. I think up-only gaming is like there's really nothing like it in sports. So tell the people what up-only gaming is and why they should be excited about it. So from a high level, we think it's the best way to have the fans become involved and connected with the league. The way it works is you say you follow us on Instagram, Discord, we have at least the exact criteria, but we, whatever it is. So you're a super fan, we see you, we say you're a fan. 
we're going to airdrop a huge percentage of the leagues to the fans. And how that works, you might not have the faintest idea about what Web3 is, but you're crying on that thing. You get a link to your Instagram, go into this app, and you can claim your karate tokens. So they go into the app and it's very simple. And it says, look, you have a thousand karate tokens. So you can see the karate tokens. There's some other things you could do. You could bet on who fights who, all the standard sort of web three league control stuff. I wouldn't say that's a game changer. But the big thing is you have a thousand karate tokens. When a fight comes up, you have a very simple layout of who's fighting who. You can pick one fighter or a group of fighters to win. If that fighter wins, you get more tokens. And that's streamed to you from predefined pool of tokens we've put aside for the winners of these contests. If you lose, you don't lose anything. It's not gaming or gambling in any sense of the word. It's simply something we can offer to our fans to become more involved in this sport. And when you look at the younger generation, more and more of the surveys, all the data out there says that they're only interested in watching sports if they have a vested interest in the outcome, whether that's traditional gambling or otherwise. What we're doing, when you look at combat sports, you have a few fighters everybody follows, but beyond that, once you get to the UFC junior leagues, I call them, it's very hard to get a new fan to care about the fighter. Once you get that fan, it's all downhill. But if I want to go out and get a fan to watch even the 30th biggest fighter in the world, it's very hard to do and it takes tons and tons of marketing. With us, we can give our fans tokens and even if they might have something at that point in time, if they're going to win, who knows what they think something's worth, but additional tokens that they value, they're going to sit home and they're going to watch the league. And additionally, they're going to research the fires. Someone says, hey, look, I have something I can win here. That's when you do your research. That's when you really start to think about who's going to win. And it's been proven it's the number one driver for fan engagement, period. So we're bringing that model to our sport and we're not using it to make, you know, this, this isn't gambling. We're not taking a vig. We're not using it to make money off of our fans, anything like that. It's an additional fun upside that we're giving them in exchange for bringing them on board to the community and getting them on board as dedicated fans. You know, that's where we went. So we're using that customer acquisition model that's tried and true for other reasons and using it for something that we think is more wholesome, more fun and where everybody wins. So that's the killer application. We are doing everything else in Web3 and that's adding value too. We're setting up as a gap. We're already getting value from that with more people contributing in terms of pointing out where we get sponsorships, marketing, social, all these different things. We're getting incredible input, incredible involvement from the community. The other thing is governance. A lot of people that are largely involved in the token will be interested in that and we have more governance than any other league out there frankly the only thing governing the league is the token there's no other equity nothing along those lines so i think that's an important aspect of what we're doing as well and then the third thing is other than upholding gaming i can i can vote on who's going to fight who with obvious limitations you know we have athletic commissions other constituents the fans are going to be driving many of the matchups they're also going to be driving what fighters are signed. And this is already something that people care greatly about. You know, I think at the end of the day, when it all comes together, we're taking a product that people already love and then adding this Web3 utility rather than doing it the other way. We're doing it in reverse and we're really excited about where things are going because we think that's the best way to do it, especially within sports. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the utility specifically? Like you mentioned that fights can be picked using the governance of Karate Token. What other things 
internally as far as org structure goes, maybe even business or big decisions? Like what scale of decision can be made by somebody who holds Karate Quinn? Could they change like marketing or like staff or like what all does that include for fans? So from a high level, what we've done is we've taken a lot of tools that have already been out there in DeFi or other areas. And frankly, we think a lot of them work even better in sports. So we've applied those tools to what we're doing. And we think it's the right balance. And we think the fans will be very excited about this as well. So the way that we're setting up fans influencing the league through the or token holders at the end of the day, their influence over the league is that the DAO has a number of different suppliers. So, you know, there'll be a promotion marketing, you know, fight ops, all of these different groups that we've set up. We have developers, all the different contributors to the DAO. And up front, obviously what we do is extremely complicated and it's a big transition period. So up front, we are locking in a list of suppliers. Some of them might be locked in for a year. Some of them might be a little bit longer if they're more mission critical. And as time goes on, token holders can put up new suppliers to be considered to, to replace the existing supplier. And then there'll be a vote where all the token holders will be able to express their opinion on which supplier we move forward with. So this is a way to give the token holders influence over the business and constrain delegation about the big decisions, but the small decisions obviously do have to be handled by the people that are the best at doing them. And once again, there's no outside party influencing these votes. It's just the token holders. There's no other equity or some secret guy controlling things in a multi-sig wallet. We're very open about everything that we do. And it all comes down to the token holders and there's just a single token. And then that's it that's driving all of this. Is there any benefit of the karate token for fighters? Like this revolutionizes fans and their experience and their engagement with a sport that they love. But when it comes to fighters, can they equally profit off of, not profit like financially, but can they equally profit on like governance and utility as fans? And or is that different for them? Yes. One of the biggest issues in combat sports is fire pay. And we think this solves this. We think Web3 is the best at aligning incentives. And we've used Web3 to solve that problem. And we think it's the best solution out there. So the way it works is we had discussed up only game. When a match comes up, I can pick a fighter to win or a group of fighters. And if they win, I'm going to get additional tokens. Where it gets interesting is I can pick 10 fighters or I can pick one. And who, you know, which fighter are you going to pick? Is it going to be the best fighter? Maybe, or maybe it's going to be the most interesting fighter. And that's the match you care more about. And there's always this push and pull in combat sports. Who's generating the value? You know, there's 10 people on the pay-per-view card. Is it really just the top two guys that are generating all the value? And then how is that value distributed? With us, we can see live which fighters the fans are picking. So the fighters will know how big the pool is real time. And when the fighters win or lose, both fighters will get a percentage of that pool of the extra of only gaming tokens. So a percentage of those will go to the fires. So for us, not only is it what we believe the most fair way to compensate the fires, additionally, it allows them to have feedback on how they're promoting their fight. 
So in addition to the whole pay question, you have this problem that a lot of fires, some are incredible at promoting themselves, and those are the ones who become successful. And there's a famous thing with another fighter out there, Colby Covington, and basically he was winning constantly, and his employer said, hey, we're going to fire you if you don't become more interesting. And actually, that guy became interesting. He went out there, said some crazy things, and it really catapulted his career. We think this is a better way to do it. It provides each fighter with real-time feedback on how they're promoting themselves, and they can see right away, hey, I can make as much money promoting a fight as I can being the best fighter out there. As crazy as it sounds, that's what the economy creators of the world, the YouTubers, making some of the largest pay-per-views now, they're not the best fighters. And at the end of the day, obviously it's a combination. You need both. So we've always been working with our fighters to help them build their stories. The stories come from them, but we've always tried to give them the platform to do that. But it's always hard to incentivize them to do that because right now they just get paid to fight. Now we're also paying them to promote their fight in a way that you can track. We think it will benefit the fans because you're going to start to see much more interesting fight promotion. And we think it will pay the fighters in an equitable fashion. And as the league grows, the token becomes more successful. Obviously, the fighters will share in that upside since everything is on a percentage basis. Wow. Can fighters vote on who they fight just like fans can vote on who they fight? You know, there, there's so many people out there voting. That's one thing I'd have to go through and make sure there's if there's any kind of regulatory issues about that. I don't think there is. But at the end of the day, to tell you the truth, we can't force someone to step in the ring with anyone. We're the one job that you definitely can't force people to show up to work. They have to want to show up anyway. So I think that's their biggest vote regardless rather than their tokens. But yeah, they will be able to vote in the, the majority of things that the, the other token holders can vote in, assuming obviously that there's no regulatory issues. Yeah, I guess it plays out like the presidential candidates voting for themselves. It's, yeah, it's just one vote. So uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there was a really interesting question that came from Discord. I was dialoguing a little bit with some of the users and Mac Tyson, who's one of the moderators, asked how DAOs solve for issues of inefficiencies. Is there any sort of like checks and balance system within the Karate Combat DAO? At the end of the day, the biggest check and balance is if you don't perform when your supplier contract comes up, obviously that's something that's going to be, that some, that's something that, that that's going to matter the most. But at the end of the day, just because the company has all these different contributors doesn't mean that they can't communicate. There's still cross-communication between contributors. A site, our top supplier is obviously going to be working with the marketing team when they need their input. So I think that provides a lot of feedback in the community about which contributors are the most valuable. And like any other project, the best contributors will get compensated more. Additionally, our business is highly planned out. So we have all the events that we're going to have in the next year. We have targets for those events. So just like working with any other supplier, all these groups are beholden to budgets. And there is a process where if they're spending more or less, how that's developed. And our finance team does oversee the finance aspects and other areas of the company provide checks and balances to the other contributors. So it's sort of a number of balances based on what the situation is. And that ultimately feeds up to the token holders over the long run when the supplier votes come up. And the other thing I would say is 
when it comes to larger issues, whether it's a lawsuit or anything along those lines, we do have real world entities in places and a number of jurisdictions. And as most companies do, we have a board or we have trustees. In our case, they're all independent, every single one of them. And when it would come to a major issue, that's a check and balance that we have there. That's a great question. As you point out, when you switch to a DAO from a traditional corporation where one person is controlling everything, you do need a number of checks and balances throughout the system between the different parties. And those are the different ways that, that we've addressed. And we're pretty happy with where we are now. The structure is flexible. So the token holders can always adjust the way things work. But we think we have a good starting point. And like anything, it needs to be flexible and we'll go from there. So is it possible then for uh, executive vetoes to be overridden by community members since a monopoly share? There are no executives. So we have different suppliers for key areas. And yeah, the token holders do control the fate of, of those key areas. Interesting. So that really opens up a lot. There's no, it's not necessarily a monopoly. It's uh, the community really does run everything. Yes, and that's the way we want it. A lot of people want things to go that way. A lot of people on the business side say, hey, are there a lot of additional risks here? And they say, look, the fans get all these tokens. You know, what else could they do something to affect the business? All these crazy things. Well, at the end of the day, UFC is a public company. The fans want, they can go buy all the stock and have them making dolls instead and quit the whole fighting business. That's literally possible. So at the end of the day, it seems revolutionary to some people. But I think you've seen the same model in other areas that are much different from Web3, such as the stock market, which is extremely different. But at the same time, some of those principles, we've seen examples of them. And over the long run, they work. If someone has a, a large number of tokens and a large amount of influence, generally they don't want to see the whole thing go down in a blaze of glory. I think we've seen from other areas that over the long run, that's actually the best way to do things. Yeah, I think what excites me the most is just the consideration of fans as a non-fungible asset. Because a lot of my, one of my whole points when I explain karate combat to people is that since the fans now are running everything, everything about a fan, not just the fact that they're a butt in a seat or standing ringside is valuable, like their opinions, their stories, their motivations, their creative minds. It's all on the table now. And I think what you guys are doing is potentially revolutionary, not just for combat sports, but for every sport. I think my bread and butter is that fans are like the driving force behind sports. There would be no sports if there weren't people watching the game. So then why then would we not shift all our attention to fans and giving them the ability to speak into what they love the most, you know? I agree. And I think one of the reasons that you've seen the biggest name in combat sports, the UFC, one of the biggest reasons you've seen them be so successful is they give the fans what they want. If this was an Olympic sport, I can promise you, Conor McGregor is not going to be fighting for the belt every time. But those are the biggest pay-per-views, and he's been involved in the best matches, and that's what the fans want to see. And I think they've done a great job just without a direct connection, trying to listen to some of that. Other sports haven't done nearly as well a job whatsoever. And you've had all these different models trying to connect 
fans, with the athletes, and with the league that have been tried. And I don't think anyone's gotten the magic combination. But what could be better than fans actually being the ones behind basically all the decisions in the league? I think that's the number one way to really have them involved and really have them get the best experience. At the end of the day, the fans are providing all the value. The traditional sports model, fans are just paying. They're providing the fans a show and that's it. They're paying for merchandise. They're paying for everything. They're giving you your eyeballs so they can get the sponsorships, right? It's really a one-way street. And I think this is the easiest way to make the whole ecosystem a two-way street. Yeah, I agree. My brain just went blank. That's okay. I can cut it out because I'm the editor. So I can make myself sound smart <laughs> throughout this whole thing. Yeah, now you have to leave that in there. That actually is a good. I'll just leave it in. Like, yeah, I'm the smartest person in the world because of the power of editing. I think what we've covered is ample and I've been sold on y'all's project from the moment I heard about it. And I appreciate you clarifying some of the business end things for me. I'm hoping that as people learn more about what a DAO and what web three is in terms of governance and utility, that they'll get just as excited about the project. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Last question. Do you think fans want power or do you think they just want to be entertained? I think when you look at DeFi, corporate governance rates are very low. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that to get the things the fans really want, they do need power over, over decisions. I think what they want isn't the power of those decisions, it's what it gets them. I think that's the key. For instance, you can put all of these different systems in place like other sports leagues do to have the fans interact with the athletes. Maybe the guy will get some bad press if he doesn't sign some fans autograph or some social blowback but at the end of the day it's in his contract that's not really how he's compensated right in our league if some fan is calling out a fighter on discord they know at the end of the day the fans are going to be controlling everything so they'll respond so does a fan care about okay i want this marketing supplier over this marketing supplier because of xyz no and probably the ones that vote on those things are going to be the ones that really do know them. And it might not be the biggest subset, but do all our fans want to be involved in the event? What responses from the fighters? What responses from the company about the areas they really care about? Yes, they want that. We know our fans want that because we're, we already do a poll for changing the rules and it's every fan on the planet is arguing about forever. That's because they're going to be influencing the whole fight department's future. So everyone has to listen to the fans. So I think. That's the great thing about having that control. It's not sitting in the boardroom and voting on these boring things. Obviously, we don't have a boardroom, but just as an example, versus the actual league interactions and getting answers about the things that you care about. I think it's the latter, and I think the only way to get the latter is to let them have pure influence where there isn't some secret pile of equity that's actually controlling all the money and all the decisions. I think you have to go all the way to really get the fans that experience that they want. But hey, that's why we'd like your viewers to, to tune in and see what happens. Let's see if we're right or not. We're definitely the first ones to do something like this. I haven't heard a compelling reason about why it makes why it doesn't make sense, but I'm sure we're, we'll be off on a few things and we'll have to tweak them and move forward. But it's one of the most exciting things I've seen out there in Web3. I'm excited to, to be a contributor and moving this forward and seeing what's going to happen. Yeah, it obviously goes far beyond just having a profile picture. This is like a real world application and those fundamentally are the web three projects that I'm most interested in or ones that 
people like the, can actually Yeah, work. this is a project that's hard to just be the guy in the, behind the keyboard because we do have events every month and that's the most fun part is getting up there, showing up, seeing it in person, participating when you're watching it online. That's a, definitely a real world application of Web3. Nice. Cool. I guess that's all. Do you have any social channels or anything you want to plug? It's all straightforward. Karate.com has our Instagram on karate.com. You can get links to all of our social. Our Discord is really fun. That's probably one I would have to recommend the most. There's a link to it on karate.com. And yeah, we'd like to have as many people involved and follow the league. And I think it's going to be a really interesting thing next year, no matter what happens. Yeah, I can confirm. The Discord is popping off all the time. Well, thanks again, Rob. I appreciate you taking the time to talk and really looking forward to people being just as much wizards on Web3 as you are. You're training up the future. Great. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show. Much appreciated.